Well, I want to talk to you uh, out of the word of the Lord, and um, bring it down just a little bit, not talk loud. Um, <coughs> the prophet Joel speaks, and he says that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. He says it will be poured out without distinction, because he said, upon your sons and daughters will he pour out of his spirit. God is very ostentatious. He just doesn't trickle it. He said, I'm going to pour it out. And then he says that your uh, young men shall see vision and old men shall dream dreams. From your handmaiden and your maidservant shall the spirit be poured out. Uh, that to me is a very broad statement because it says that God is about to do something that transcends all human distinction. Uh, as you know, in Christ Jesus, there's elimination of the three basic challenges that we face today. There's male nor female, which is gender. Jew nor Greek, which is race, rich nor poor, which is socioeconomic. On the day of Pentecost, this prophecy is fulfilled. The amazing thing about prophecy is that uh, God often declares a thing before he fulfills it. That's why faith comes by hearing, not by seeing. So we need to listen for the word of God, because if we will listen, it will give us some indication to what God is about to do. And Pentecost, Peter preaches. And from that time on, there's the evolution and the metamorphosis of a lot of events that we read about in church history. The Apostle Paul was an interesting man because he is now converted. He's now preaching something that he sought to destroy. The amazing story there in Paul's life because it tells you that God does not need your permission to do something in your life. God apprehends him and he not only he hears a sound, but he hears a voice. He's stricken blind, and God sends someone who reluctantly did not want to come. It's amazing sometimes that we judge people by the flesh, not by the spirit. And Aeneas is sent by the Lord, and he said, Lord, I, I know you're set to go, but don't you know who this man is and what he has done? God is not so much concerned about your history as he is about your future. And so it's very important that you comprehend that. So don't be overwhelmed by the darkness or restrictions or challenges of your history. You're not prisoners of your past. Not prisoners of your past. But history should teach you if you are to be friendly in the future. And so God apprehends Paul, turns Paul around, and Paul now straight away begins to preach. And he's probably one of the most prolific writers, but Paul is not the only one. And Paul is not the only one that had the concept of the church. And I don't want to go down these avenues right now. But Paul begins to write something in the book of Romans. He writes, he says, As many as are led by the Spirit or the children of God. He writes to the Corinthians church, he says, that the natural man, Paul makes a distinction between the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man does not understand the things of God. And when Paul is speaking of the natural man, he's speaking really of the Jew. He's speaking of those who live by the law, who do not understand understanding that you can now be accepted by God by the works, not of the law, but of the hearing of faith. So he's saying that the natural man cannot understand this. Because, see, if you've lived in something a long time, something new always perplexes you. And our problem today is that sometimes we have a tendency to reject that which is new or which contradicts what we know. But always remember now, we are finite people. We do not know everything. So that means that we must always make provision for the fact that God can bring new concepts, new ideas into our minds. And so Paul said, the natural man does not understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. But the spiritual man understands all things. 
And so this whole idea that heaven can be involved in our life here is a tremendous proposition. <clears throat> the thought that there could be divine involvement in human affairs. The fact that we can receive wisdom and counsel of God. In fact, one of the apostolic writers said that he that lacked wisdom, let him ask of God. The fact that God can give us wisdom and understanding about our lives, whether it's business or whatever it may be. I'm a dentist by training. I'm what you call a prostodontist. Uh, smile. Let me see your teeth. That's one. <laughs> uh, teeth are my friends because they never lie. Maybe the bearers of the teeth may lie, but the teeth never lie. And uh, I've been in practice for 35 years. My wife is my office manager. And so you must understand that the fact that God can give me insight and understanding in the practice of dentistry. I'm a bishop in the church. I travel throughout the world, my wife and I, overseeing churches and ministries. Been in all kinds of churches, all kinds of churches. North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, all throughout God's world. And I've seen churches in various stages of their evolution. And so I've had some experience in things of God over these many years. But the idea that God can give us wisdom or give us guidance and counsel, that God can show us which way to go, that he can give us understanding even in our relationship, is an interesting proposition. And so today I want to talk with you about spiritual and practical guidance. Spiritual and practical guidance. And I, I beg you and plead with you to hear me carefully. Uh, I said at the beginning of this week that I'm a conversationalist, I'm not a preacher, that I, I talk. And uh, you'll find that some of my comments may be laced with humor, but don't let the humor deceive you. Because in the humor is a knife. <laughs> As one guy, he said, he has his life laughing and he's cutting us at the same time. So I uh, said, so <laughs> yeah, okay. Spiritual guidance, spiritual guidance. The fact that God can direct us and lead us today is an interesting proposition. Let me make a few preface statements if I can. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But you must understand that you can hear the wrong things. So that means that the crisis of our faith is dependent upon what we have heard. And since faith comes by hearing the gospel, we must make sure that we've heard the right gospel. And one of our challenges that we face today, I think, is that we've heard a limited gospel. Yes. One of the great challenges I find in preachers is that many times, they have over-specialized in a narrow aspect of the truth. Whether it's faith or prosperity or whether it's healing or deliverance. And all of those are aspects of redemption, but it's not the full counsel of the Lord. So many times we may think we have faith, but what we have, we have a strong belief in one dimension of God. And sometimes we could be blind to the full expression of God. So that means that the crisis of our faith will always be conceptual. How we interpret historical events and truths, and how we apply them to our lives. Now, you will find out that's the crisis in the New Testament church. When you read the book of Galatians, you'll find that they had received the Spirit by faith, but then they returned back to the law. And it's because they did not understand that the law was temporary and transitional. So that problem is legalism. Legalism. When you read the Corinthian epistle, you find that, number one, here they are coming behind and no gifts. As you will come behind in no gifts, you'll have all the gifts of God resident among you as a people. you have apostles and prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Yes, you will. You'll have bishops. You have gifts of healing and miracles, signs and wonders. You'll have all those. And you'll have all of the ten gifts of the Holy Spirit operating among you as a fellowship. And I hope that God will add the tenth gift, which is common sense. I hope he will add that to you. 
But the Corinthians, believe it or not, because they did not understand the restrictions of faith, they became lawless and antinomian. So here's the people who come behind and no gifts, yet still among them are sins not even named among Californians. I'm not California. A lot of things California does, nobody else does. You're the state. You only come second to New York. Only city where you need a passport to get in. But then the third is the Colossian epistles. Colossian epistles speak to us about mysticism and Gnosticism, where people believe that Jesus is not enough. Now, they've heard the gospel, but all of a sudden they begin to add things to it. And that's one of the challenges that we're facing today is that there's been a mixture. We add things to Christianity because we think that it's not sufficient within itself. Christianity is an interactive faith, comprehensive faith. In fact, salvation is comprehensive. We will understand that. It's spiritual, psychological, and behavioral. Let's always remember these things. It's interactive. There's a living Christ, a resurrection Savior, an indwelling spirit that dwells within us, a God who reveals himself to us. In our contemporary culture, we find the challenges of this faith paradox. That is, many times people have misinterpreted what the Bible truly says. We can all read it, but we can misunderstand it. And consequently, one of the things you see today is that there's been a misunderstanding of faith in medicine. I'm a doctor. One of the first controversies that I faced was that I thought God would heal all supernaturally. And I thought that going to a doctor taking medicine was a step down from faith. And I came along with some contemporaries who strongly believe in the supernatural. So many of them died prematurely because they would not take medicine that could handle a simple disease. Hobart Freeman died of an infection that could have been handled. Many people had their children to die because they felt that healing must be supernatural. And it came from one verse. The woman who had spent all she had on doctors went, and because she did not, wasn't healed, she was healed supernaturally, touched the hem of his garment. And what they did from the old holiness movement, they interpreted that to mean that, hear me carefully, to go to doctors is a step down from faith. But you must understand that faith in medicine must marry. So that's a controversy in faith because they misinterpreted the fact that all good things from above come down from God. There uh, was one person telling me that, uh, you know, when you go into the ministry, you become saved. You don't use lawyers. Well, I do. Both of my children are lawyers. And they said to me in my practice one time, they said, you know, because you're a Christian, you won't sue us if we owe you money. I'll sue you in a New York minute. In a New York minute. I'll get a whole bankroll of lawyers. I'll come at you. I'll put you in collection, delection, cremation, anything else to get my money. That's because we misunderstood a verse of Scripture that said, Is that not a wise person wonder? Why do you go to the law with your brothers? Not understanding the implication of that. We've seen this misinterpretation of, of faith when it comes to uh, deliverance. We've gone through a period of time. I worked with some of the most notable people in the faith. Read many of them. And many times they cast demons out of things that are not demonized. And we understand that many times our concept of demonology is based probably upon three verses of Scripture. That one verse has said, you know, that the weapons of our warfare are not what? But what? Mighty in God. Okay, that's one. And then what's the other? Put on the whole what? And then what? Fight the good fight of? See, all of those verses have been used to make us think that we must be constantly in battle and warring with spirit. So spiritual warfare has been a preoccupation with demons. Yet when I read the New Testament epistles, I find there was no such preoccupation. Paul said we're not ignorant of these devices. We understand them. 
We know he can withstand us. But evil spirits often work through weak-minded people. But his strategy is always theological and doctrinal. And you need to understand this. This is the way he works today. This is the way he influences people by concept. Because we live in a world of ideas and concepts and knowledge and people trying to influence us and to impact us. But because of a misunderstanding what true spiritual warfare is, which is a preoccupation with God and redemptive truths. And because of that, you find that people have gotten all caught up. In fact, when they opened that church services, they rebuked it. I'm so glad that you didn't rebuke him nor mention his name. Amen. That was a blessing to us. Also, there's been a preoccupation with government and structure and authority because of a misunderstanding of Scripture, submission. And it's often been looked upon as a woman's thing, as if women have to be in submission to their own husband because they misinterpret Ephesians 5. Women be in subjection to your own husbands in the Lord. Not understanding the context. Whenever you read the New Testament epistle, they're always contextual. Understand from what perspective the apostle is writing from and to whom is he speaking. In this case, he's talking about the Jews. Not just the Jews, but he's talking about to the Romans. Because in Roman culture, women had no value. They were the weaker vessel. Not because of their physical ability. Because how many of you know some women can whoop you? <laughs> Well, some women, don't you mess with them. I tell you, they will take you down and take you out in a moment. I mean, don't come at them. Think just because you're a woman, you are in for an awakening and not a spiritual one either. <laughs> but because, and because of misinterpreting the book of Genesis. Genesis is a seedbed of all New Testament revelation. In Genesis is the first mentioning of many concepts today that we get confused. And so because we thought that the woman who was formed or created second, that she was inferior to the man, and because the devil talked to the woman, and the woman was deceived, and because of the curse, which we thought the woman was cursed, when it was not the woman, but it was the, the devil and the ground, we have conceived that women are inferior. So you can see the crisis of faith has always been conceptual. How we interpret or misinterpret historical truths, even spiritual authority. I come from a church where there was a lot of reading of Watchman Nee. I understand Watchman Nee. I've read him thoroughly. But you must always understand the cultural influence. You must always understand perceptions and conceptions. You must always understand that revelation is progressive. And sometimes where we start is not where we're supposed to end. And sometimes people's concepts of authority is not totally biblical. And so authority sometimes is looked upon one ruling upon another. Spiritual authority has nothing to do with what we see. It's authority in the heavens. As the demon said to the seven sons of Sceva, and that man before he whipped him, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, and I'm about to put a whooping on you. <laughs> so when we understand this, the crisis of our faith has always been conceptual. How do we have conceived or misconceived biblical truths? Even faith. Faith. I've been much, very much concerned about two things. I hope you write this down. One is divine liability. And the other is human responsibility. Divine liability and human responsibility. One of the crises that we faced in life is determining or discerning what is God liable for in our lives. And number two, what are we responsible for? I discovered there are two prayers that God won't answer. He will not answer any prayer that requests him to do what he's empowered you to do. That's first of all. And number two, He'll not answer any prayer that requests him to do again what he's called finished. 
That's why when people pray for me for a double portion of anointing, I just laugh. Because the first portion I got was sufficient. When they pray that I have more power, no, I have enough. If he gave me more power, I'd short circuit. Now, why is that? That's because they do not understand the dimensions of divine liability. We need to know what God is liable for. God is not liable for the mistakes of your miscalculations. God is not liable for the resolution of conflicts in your marriage. Hear me carefully. Forgiveness covers a lot of problems. And how many know sometimes you just have to forget? One man said his wife, she talks, he said, uh, historically. He said, you mean hysterically? He said, no, historically. He said, no, you mean hysterically. No, 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 my wife talks historically. She always talks about what I did back there, what I didn't do. And all. she can always rehearse history. She's a tremendous historian. And so you need to understand, because of that, sometimes it's misinterpretation. There's some things that God will not do. God will not forgive someone in whom you've created the offense. God will not go to another country. God won't do evangelism for you. God won't go out and create a building for you. These are things that are within our power. But he will give you wisdom, counsel, and understanding. And so we need to understand. So that's why I want to talk with you briefly now about divine guidance. Because we need to understand these concepts. Concept. Let me get one other premise if I can. And the premise I said is about salvation. It's comprehensive. This we need to understand. It's spiritual. Salvation is a process by which God brought us from depravity to ultimate destiny. You need to understand it's comprehensive. It's spiritual in that we have been justified before the Lord. There's been a change in our status, our relationship. No longer are we the enemies of God, or God our enemy. God is now our friend. These are spiritual things. I cannot understand perpetuation. I can't understand imputation. I mean, can you see it? As a dentist, we had to dissect human bodies. And I can tell you, there's some things that, that I can't understand. But I can say this, regardless of the external veneer, you all look the same inside. That I can tell you. So it's spiritual. I can't understand totally what reconciliation is. We said we understand the term, but that, that's something that happens in the spiritual dynamics. But then it's psychological. Some things can happen in the spirit, and yet still they don't happen up here. We must be renewed our mind, change our mind, change our concept, change our ideas. Did you know I have people who've been born again, spirit-filled, speaking tongues, and still oppress women? I have people today who are so caught up with their denominations. They think that their denomination and their denominational disciplines are inspired. Hear me carefully. Theology is not inspired. I don't care who speak it. It's just human effort trying to interpret, hear me carefully, what the scriptures say. And that's why they have to be corrected. That's why we had reformation so long, because that's God correcting our misinterpretation of scripture. But then it's behavioral. Now, if you don't understand, when you've got to get your mind right, as my daughter said, Dad, get your mind right. Get your mind right, Dad. I want you to think right. You know, think right. I need money. Think right. Get your mind right. <laughs> think right. Now, what is she saying? Spiritual, something has happened. We've been delivered from the powers of darkness, translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, that's happened. For that reason, there's no generational curses. Do you understand? No generational curses for you. Every ordinance, everything that's been written against you, every power, now, the reason why we still hesitate on that is because we read something that Moses heard when he asked the Lord to show him. I'm the Lord who visited iniquities of the fathers upon the children of the second, third, and tenth generation. 
But they forget that the prophets came and gave a full expression to that. Ezekiel 1 and Jeremiah. You've heard in Israel, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set in it. But no more will this proverb be heard. Now the soul that sent it shall die. Now what does that say? From now on, you can't say it was because of my father, my mother, my grandfather. God said, no, no, I'm dealing with you. Dealing with you. Well, I'm under some curse. No, you ain't got no generational curse. You have generational tendencies. You keep doing and thinking the same way they did, so you're getting the same results. You know why people fight against that? Because it's a multi-million dollar theological business. You want to make money, just tell people, God has anointed me as a prophet to break curses in your life. Bring $1,000, I'll break ten. Bring 2,000, I'll get 20. Bring 10,000, I'll break them all, they won't come again. And you laugh at the places I go to, that's what they do. And when I say there's no such thing, not generational curses, generational tendencies. Now, if we don't understand that, many times we allow ourselves to be led and controlled by theological and spiritual ideas that are foreign to God. So that's why I want to talk about this thing about guidance, spiritual guidance, because I think it's very necessary. You are a young church. You are growing. You're expanding. You've been gifted of God by some very unusual leadership, brilliant, energetic, inspired, visionaries, and some who are beyond their years. And the one thing that must always be engaged by us is the wisdom of God. Israel had a great zeal for the Lord, but without knowledge. So I want to give you three stories, if I can, and you locate them in your Bible. The first is Gideon. Gideon. Well, my wife and I first came into the ministry. Uh, I was a prostodontist, first came back to Atlanta, prepared to make some money. We had dreams, had visions. The Lord spoke to us, spoke to her one time out of an open vision. I never heard an audible voice. I think I would pass out if I heard, this is the Lord. I think I'd just pass out. (laughs) I mean, if, if an angel appeared before me, but I have seen angels. I have seen an angel. Went to South Africa, and we went there during the apartheid regime, and we had just got into the hotel down in Durban. We got off the elevator, and we got ready to walk out the back door. It was dark. Dust had set in. And this big, tall, blonde fellow comes in and said, don't go out that door. Go out this door. And, you know, I, and I, when I looked, he was gone. And I said, well, okay. So we went out the other door. Next morning, I read in the newspaper where a sailor was stabbed to death at the same time we would have gone out that door which meant that the killer was there. We've seen, we've had angelic visitation. Well, when we moved our family from, uh, from Maryland back to Atlanta and felt that it was of the Lord, and God providentially hindered us. So I believe not only in the redemptive dimension of God, but the providential dimension of God. We get some concern about God saved, but God rules. He rules over all time, seasons, circumstances, and people. God can open doors and shut doors. And I was working at the chief of dentistry, the largest health center. I was about to start my practice, and everything was going well. Then at the last moment, everything shut down. I had all my energy behind it. I was pushing, pressing. In fact, I even had fleeced God. Lord, if this is you, let this happen. Let this happen. Let that happen. And at the last moment, everything shut down. I remember sitting in the window, despondent. Because, see, even as a Christian, that's still something that will visit you occasionally. Right. Depression will come by you too. You can talk it away, shout it away, but it's still right there, knocking if you're not careful. And the Spirit of God said to me, trust me. Now, I didn't see him, 
I didn't hear an audible voice, but an impression said, trust me. If we had submitted ourselves to that contract to start that practice, I never could have done what the Lord had commanded me to do two months later, go into the ministry. Because the cost of that running that practice and all of that would have been prohibited. Gideon is spoken to the Lord. He's a very uh, timid man, Fred. God's power in you is not dependent upon your physical strength. In fact, there's nothing in you that God finds valuable for him. In fact, Paul's zeal and his enthusiasm, the Lord said, I've got to give you a messenger to keep you on the wraps. It wasn't weakness, wasn't sickness, wasn't weak eyes, anything like that. It said, wherever, God, wherever Paul went, there was a messenger of Satan that took advantage of weak-minded, rebellious people and raised up insurrection against him. So Gideon, the Lord said, oh, man of valor. See, God speaks to your potential. And Gideon begins to give excuses. Because, see, when I came into the ministry, I never liked speaking before people, never liked conflict, never liked controversy. I like peace. And I'm put right in the midst of warring people, conflicting people. They would fight a tree if it stood still long enough. <laughs> what I'm put in the midst of. Controversy, hard people. Because how many of you know that God's people, with God's people, you don't need a devil. <laughs> You don't need a devil anymore. God's people can retire. I'll take care of that. But Gideon asked the Lord for fleece. This is guidance. He asked the Lord that when I go to sleep, let the ground and what's under this lambskin be different. And it was. And he didn't believe. He asked for again. And then when it happened as he asked the fleece, this was guidance to Gideon. Because you must understand that some things that God asks us to do that seems to be so astronomical, we actually need a strong validation. And God knows what it takes for each one of us. That's why sometimes he won't give you what you're asking for. God says, you show me this. He says, no, you don't need that. You know me. You know my voice. I'm not going to do that for you. But there are some that need a strong validation. That's why when you hear people saying, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, that's because they're weak people. God had to speak to them constantly. And so Gideon, okay, Gideon has this fleece. Now hear me carefully. The danger of a fleece is that you allow your decision to be based on external things. When the Lord said, I want to speak to your spirit, your inner man. I want to speak to you out of my word. I want to speak to you by the spirit. So when it comes to spiritual guidance, you need to understand, and we must know the avenues to which, which God will speak. And something else we have to understand is our own human humanity. Gideon is timid. That may not be the case for some of us. Some of us can be compulsive, impulsive. Some of us can be bold, gregarious, outgoing. And some of us can be passive. Some of us can be procrastinators. How many of you procrastinators in here? How many of you put off? Raise your hand. You're in the house of God. Don't lie. Don't lie on Sunday. Maybe on Monday, but not Sunday. It's procrastinator. You put off. I bought a book, Overcoming Procrastination. It took me a year to read it. I mean, we're procrastinating. <laughs> And some of us are realists, realists. You know, realists, show me. Gideon is a realist, show me. If this happened, I know this here. But then there's some who are denialists. No, I just don't believe it. It's denialists. You understand? Some are alarmists. How many are alarmists? One tree is the whole forest. You know, that's, that's some. But Gideon allows the Lord to... Now, some people have used that premise in Gideon as the foundation stone for their spiritual and practical guidance. Fleecing. Hear me carefully. It's not totally, totally biblical. I will lead you by my spirit. 
not by external circumstances. Because external circumstances sometimes will deceive you. They will confuse you. Our strongest guidance is the word, and, the, and hear me carefully, the spirit of God. There's another story about Joseph. Joseph, here's another. Joseph is very reluctant to take Mary, his wife. And he's been reluctant because of traditions. See, the power of traditions in our lives can overwhelm us. Sometimes our cultural persuasion and our tradition are so powerful, they paralyze us and put us in conflict with God. And God many times has to arrest our consciousness. So Joseph goes to sleep. He has a dream. An angelic messenger appears to him. He said, fear not to take Mary as our wife, because the thing in her is of the, is of the Lord. And he awakes. Dreams are a tremendous avenue of God speaking through you, guidance. But you have to be careful of dreams, because dreams do not always testify to what you think. How many of you know you've had dreams that were just nightmares? <laughs> just, na- just nightmares. But some dreams are spiritual dreams. There are some dreams that are prophetic. Some dreams are revelatory. Joseph has a disclosing dream. It answers a controversy in his life. Ever gone to sleep in perplexity and wake up in total peace? You ever wonder why? Because in the night while the Lord has arrested your consciousness, something has ministered to your spirit. Someone said that when you speak in tongues, your spirit is communicating spiritual concepts and ideas that transcends your mind. So when Joseph goes to sleep, he wakes up and the angel has spoken to him through a dream. Dreams can sometimes reveal something about our own inherent nature. A woman had a dream where she kept figuring she was beating her mother. I said, that was a bad dream. Fighting her mother. And she woke up. She was very distressed over the dream. And she went to get an interpretation. Now, hear me carefully. There are no dream books. So anybody that goes to the store and buys a dream book, you're wasting your money. The symbols in your dreams, hear me carefully, are specific for you. In my dream, all of the animals fly and they all talk. But hear me carefully. Animals are symbolic. Sometimes the animals speak of things. For example, I dreamed a dream about a lion chasing me. And I was running from the lion. Then I stopped and took up a stone and crushed the lion's head. I said, what is this about? Come to find out that the lion speaks of authority. And the stone, hear me carefully, speaks of revelation. The stone that the children rejected has become the head of the corner. And I crushed the, the lion's head. What it was saying to me, you will stop someday running from the authority God has invested in you. And you will turn and accept your responsibility. It was a time in my life where I was running from it. Let somebody else do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want that headache. Let somebody take care of it. And then all of the time, I was deferring to someone else. And the God kept saying to me, it's you. And that's what the dream. So here to carefully, Joseph has a dream. Joseph could have had a vision. We're not too sure. Let me take you to another story real quick. It's Peter. Peter. Guide it. I know. Got a few minutes to hit my principle. Peter, Peter is uh, he's having a vision. But Peter's still Jewish. His culture has ruled him. Even though Peter's been born again and filled with the Spirit, remember now, salvation is spiritual, psychological, and behavior. And so even though the spiritual part is there, he's received the Holy Spirit. He was within him. He's been justified, imputation, you understand, righteousness, all of that is there, but it's right here. It's right here. And the cultural influences are powerful. And because it's right here, it affects his behavior. So much so that Paul has to rebuke him face to face in Galatia. I saw him caught up. When the Jews come down, you eat with them, but when they go away, you eat with the Gentiles. And because of your, your hypocrisy of the people are caught up with that. You've got to remember, children, what you do, somebody else will emulate. 
Because emulation is a high form of respect. That's why you need to get it right before your children. And if you're one way at home and another way at church, your children are going to be confused. They're going to be very much confused. You, you're all kind and gentle at home. We have one of our guys in our church, all kind and gentle in church. But at home, he's a tyrant. So his children were in confusion. In fact, they began to lie. Why? Because they saw his life as a lie. And so now you find that Peter has come up and he's on the housetop and he goes to sleep. And he has a vision or dream. And there's a thing let it down. Sheep, four-footed creeping beast. And he said, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Peter said, tradition is culture. We don't do such things. And he goes up. And three times it comes out. Then Peter wakes and he's pondering in his mind what this means. Because always you need to understand when you see visions and dreams, you don't understand. We think we understand it. Just like prophecy is progressive, vision and dreams are, are, are progressive too. That's why you should never make a major decision based upon one impression. You need to wait, write it down, ponder it. In a multitude of what? Counsel. In the mouths of two or more what? Witnesses. Let everything be established. Don't be too quick to act on a dream or vision or revelation or even one prophecy. Prophecy is not the only channel. In fact, prophecy is always a mixture of the human and the divine. That's why one speak, let the others judge. Because we're speaking from what we see, and we see in part. So when he awakes, immediately now, because in a man's house named Cornelius, an angel of the Lord has appeared to him and said, send a Joppa, or one man named Peter, and he will come and tell you things that you must now hear. Now it's amazing in spiritual guidance, that's something called connection. Sometimes you can't move to the next step until you meet the other carrier. And sometimes we get to a place and we're trying to move, but the other part is not there yet. I've seen people get frustrated in business and in church and ministry because they have a vision. Just because, see, the frustration of a vision is that you see something and it looks like it's now. That's what frustrates me as a prophet. When I see it, it's so clear. It's there before me, not realizing it's five years down the road. And it frustrates me because if I see it, I speak it, I think that you should do it. Not understanding that every word that God speaks is conditional. You can obey and disobey. And so as a prophet, I get frustrated because I see it. Don't they see it? No, they don't see it. And that's why you have to speak it again and again. So Peter, he said, the Spirit says to Peter, Arise, go down, several men seek thee. Go with them saying nothing. And that's a bad admonition to a Pentecostal. <laughs> to shut up, not to speak. I mean, ever tried it? Let everybody keep silence before the Lord. Mm. Mm. Glory to God. And pretty soon the fingers and the toes start moving. Hallelujah. I feel a quickening here. I mean, we just can't. It's, it's hard. But how I many you know that most revelation comes in silence? Yes. And so he goes with him. And when he goes with him, questioning and suspicion. Always remember, children, one of the major things that you will deal with is uncertainty. Uncertainty. God is not so big in you understanding everything. That's why by faith we accept it. Sometimes we don't see. But some of us who are realists, we want to know everything. Now, when I go there, who am I going to meet? And how many people are going to be there? And how far is the journey? And how many places are there? Is there a Starbucks along the way? I need to know this here. And I know when I get there, will I know how many people will be there? Will it be young or old? I mean, tall? What, who will be there? And if it don't work, what is my second alternative? See, God doesn't do any of that. He said, by faith, go. And so now Peter gets there. And immediately now, immediately, there's a man named Cornelius. And he falls to his knees. Now, I'm a bishop. I'm a bishop of the church. 
I am. I have a ring here, and I put my ring back on now because it's a little large, slips off my finger. Okay? But these are all symbols. They have no significance in themselves. And sometimes people want to call, come and bow. I told a man, now, if you bow my ring, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> Bishop, you wouldn't do that. I said, you will. Try me. And he, like I said, I'm going to hit you. He said, but that's in my tradition. I said, your tradition is wrong. That may be in the tradition of church history, but not biblical history. You don't understand that we're all elders. In fact, none of you should be bound to any of us as leaders. Our role as leaders is to teach you and to instruct you, not the Lord over you. That's the admonition of Paul. The Ephesian is, take heed to yourself. And the people of which the Lord has made you overseers. Not to lord over them, not to control them, not to dominate them. They shouldn't be coming throwing money at your feet. That was an apostolic abnormality. Happened one time, not again. Oh, I'm getting away. And so when he gets there, can he just tell him I was in vision, praying, and a messenger spoke to me. And all of a sudden there's a connection. One of the aspects of spiritual guidance is to understand that many times the Lord speaks to you in part and has a connection. And many times neither one of the connections has the whole picture. And the decision cannot be made until the two comes together. Did you know that speaks even of marriage? Did you know sometimes people cannot realize the call or the ministry or the mission they have in life until they get married? And marry the right person. Now don't think that prophecy directs you who to marry. If somebody prophesies over who you should marry, hear me carefully, take it from me, that ain't God. They can give you principle, precept. Don't be unequally yoked with what? But you can be unequally yoked with a believer. Because how many know some believers are crazy? They are. I mean, no, they are. Just because you're full of the Holy Ghost does not mean you cannot be weird and strange and sometimes abusive. I have some preachers that are abusive. I said to a man once, he was a minister, powerful man of God. He was abusive to his wife. And I said to him prophetically, it was a little bit of me too, but I said to him, stuff saith the Lord. If you abuse your wife again, I shall send a messenger, a strong messenger, who shall do to you likewise and more. He looked at me like, well, I say, yeah, and the Lord said, and if you don't believe, I shall send a token soon. <laughs> Sometimes the coming together, and hear me carefully, children. Sometimes the separation. I can't tell you all too often, God puts together a strong ministerial team, but sometimes because of, hear me carefully, pride. Pride deludes you, greed consumes you. Jealousy blinds you to the good in other people. Anger confuses you. And sometimes because we don't want to work along with or under someone else. I'm not a weak man. I worked in a church that had over 12,000 members, 24 pastors, 450 deacons, all kind of ministry, all the different ministerial expressions you saw here in terms of worship. We pioneered a lot of that. We had, we had mime. We had drama. We had rap, we had Bach, rock, Beethoven, rock and roll, gospel, hip-hop, the dance. We had it all, the flags. We did all the procession. When we initiated, they thought that we had missed God. <laughs> but we had a vision from God. And sometimes when God puts together teams, sometimes because of the arrogance, and some people felt, you know, hey, I can go because I can preach. Hear me carefully, gifts and callings are not synonymous. 
You can be gifted to preach and to speak, but not call. That's why the scripture does not work on your, wait on your gifting. Romans said, wait on your calling. And sometimes we need to wait on our calling. And sometimes God wants to discipline and train us. And sometimes where he wants us to go has not yet been prepared yet. Don't forget we had a need for an automobile. But it had not been released yet. And so the Lord said, not now. And I'm thinking, but you know, I need, need one now. You know, this one. No, how many know the Lord can resurrect a car? Yes, he can. He keeps something going. But I need to know, but, but the car wasn't prepared. I heard the Cadillac. That's a bad ride. <laughs> Cadillac, yeah, Cadillac. And, but about the shoe thing, now I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, the shoes, you see, yeah. But what we needed had not yet been prepared. And sometimes in ministries, you find teams separated, number one, because, see, sometimes we, we want what others. Competition in spiritual things is always an indication of confusion. Whenever we compete. So in our ministry, we had people who could preach, but they were not called. And see, just because you can speak, God can take one who can do less than what you are. The eloquence. Paul said, I don't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So you can see that God has to do with all the channels through which God leads you and directs you. Okay? But here's the word of the Lord to you. God will lead this church and his ministry through some unusual ways. Don't let your history paralyze your future. Sometime if you've made some mistakes back then, God, you need to understand God is not so much concerned as when you miss it as he is concerned about when you obey him. And sometimes the missing it might have been a part of the strategy. Did you hear what I just said now? No, you, you missed that. You missed that because if you've gotten that, you've been writing that down. Sometimes the missing it was a part of the divine design. He meant for you to miss it. So, number one, you could discover several things. First of all, your humanity. And secondly, that you could discover, number one, something that you need to discover. Because that's something that happens when you run and kill a wall, isn't it? Something happened. How many of you know called Reality. Reality. And also, it brings you to a place where you can trust in God. Hitterfield was right. He thought it was right every time. But the time that he, his counsel was wrong, he killed himself. God is bringing us to the place where all must be. So he will lead you in some unusual ways. He really will. Where you are here is my understanding in the spirit that you're looking at uh, some properties, some things beyond here. And you will in time. But don't be frustrated with space. The location of a church is insignificant. Whether you're on the first floor, 10th floor, the 100th floor, you're out in cyberspace. And you'll have a cyber church. You'll have that. Your church will transcend boundaries. You'll reach other nations, other countries. There'll be teams that go out from here. You'll be a receiving and sending church. This is guidance. You'll be a church that sends teams, apostolic team, prophetic team. I like to call them biblical team, New Testament team. You'll send them by two and sometimes by seven, sometimes by ten, maybe even more. You'll send other nations, other countries. And you'll connect, and you'll have branches that are throughout. God will guide you and lead you. But one of the things about God is stay small in your own eyes. If you stay small in your own eyes, God can be big inside of you. God will lead you. He also, he'll lead you through prophecy occasionally, but not prophecy alone. You'll not become a prophetic church. You'll not just be a vision-led church or dream-led church. We've gone through all of that. Vision-led, vision-directed church. Those are all hemicapital submonalities. What God wants you to be is an obedient church. Obedient church is that you'll be open to the channels through which God uses you. You'll be a teaching church. I do know that. A strong teaching church. You'll be a church known for prayer. And prayer is be something that you all will do. But prayer will not be warfare to you. 
Prayer be communion with God. The devil cannot interrupt your communion with God. He cannot. When you pray, God will hear you. He will answer you. But sometimes he will not answer you according to your persuasion. You'll be a church that's transgenerational. Transgenerational. Different generations shall be among you here. You're already transcultural, transethic, transracial, transnatural, natural. You're all of those now. But you'd be transgenerational. The young and the old will be comfortable. But you also will be trans. How can I say the word I'm seeking for? Um, as a word, when you find that some people are sort of in darkness and some in light, some people are in sin and some people are walking in righteousness, but sometimes we get that confused. Because, see, the Pharisees said, you know, I tithe often. I give of everything that I have. And the sinner came in. Sinner, and they will come in. Forgive me a sinner. I still smoke, I still drink, and I can't seem to get the victory yet. But, Lord, you could have mercy. And Jesus said he went down more justified than the other. You'll be known as a church of mercy and grace. And when they come in, you won't look at their outward appearance. Because you'll see a Paul and a Peter and a John resident there. You'll see a Mary. You'll see them. You'll see a Phoebe. You'll see all of those there resonant within them, but not the way they initially come in. And it's not confronting them about their sin, but confronting them about the righteous potential that's there. Yes. Amen. The goodness of God leadeth to yes. repentance. Yes, to severity, but the goodness. And you'll have compassion in all of you when they come in and sit among you. And it won't be from here. It'll be from you. A touch from you. You'll be a benevolent church because you will share. Those who have more will have nothing left over, and those who have nothing will suffer no lack. Well, I have two cars, I give one away. We give cars away all the time. God spoke to us to give it away, to family. And one of the families we've given cars to over the years, uh, their son now, we've known them since they were little people, before they were born. We've helped them and nurtured them. Now one is a professional basketball player making over $60 million. And I said to him, Arthur, remember me. <laughs> You're coming to your kingdom. You remember all that money, you know, just uh, this car only costs, I mean, it's not even enough money to cough. Just remember <laughs> me. Yeah, they come in. Money will no longer be your problem. Will not be a problem for you. Will not be a problem for you. No, no. And you'll be a technic-sensitive church. But don't let technology transcend the message. The message is one of the kingdom of God. You speak to every dimension of life. You direct people. You speak truths that will endure every generation because the truths of God last. You'll be on TV. You're not TV, but all this technology and outlets, you will be there. And you'll be one that's able to handle the word of God, not deceitfully, but craftily and with wisdom. You'll do it. And you'll be a church that will have longevity, but not just longevity, but longevity with effectiveness. It's not how long you've been around. It's how long you've been effective. And so I've come. I've come just in part this to you to let you know that as of today, I can say to you prophetically, rise and shine for your light has come. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And God has shed his hand upon you with goodness and grace. He's given you a measure of favor that you will transcend your age and your time and your season. You will speak and you will sing and you will minister beyond your age. They will wonder where did all of this wisdom come from? But you have respect of all ages. There will not be a generational gap among you that will be foreign to you because you reach at all generations, all cultures, 
Oh, children, let your light shine. Touch the nations. Touch the world. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I feel like Simeon, that my eyes could see, could see you. And all your different reflections, and all your different ages, and all your different backgrounds. See the love of God. Let love, let love be your addiction. Let love be your pursuit. Love covers a multitude of sin. You can never go wrong with love. But know that love confronts. Love corrects. Love instructs. You'll be a church that's known for your love, for your power. And for your cutting edge mentality. You'll always do it what no one else has done. But hear me carefully. You'll learn how to take a step forward and take a step back. You'll learn how to self-adjust yourself. And you'll listen to the synthing voices. Don't always simply look for those who agree with you. Sometimes the voice of the Lord is in descent, not in consent. Ah, did you hear me this morning? So, Lord God of heaven, thank you this day for the mercy and grace I sense in this house. Among these beautiful faces, Lord. Oh, (laughs) Mm. Sambrinda, sabokura habende, ilibuhushande ibotoko, nebidumunda, sadebrebishiguro, ulibisha. Arise, 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 Lord. Show your mercy, Lord. Mm. Oh, Lord, fulfill all your will, your passion among them. Let not one word, let not one promise fall to the ground, Lord, till it be fulfilled. Keep them, Lord, sustain them. The Lord, that that testimony will be just like Paul. We've kept the faith. We've run the race. We've finished our course. Lord, let not one fall short. Oh, God, I pray. Let wisdom be their passion. Revelation, Lord, be their portion. Oh, let mercy and grace and faith, oh, Lord, be among them. Thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. May the Lord bless you. Let's call his face to shine upon you. Be strength.